0: Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. Powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. And joining me over the airwaves, uh, the cool fly, spry, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how you doing?
1: you making me feel young, man. That is much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what we have to do. We have to, to ramp up our energy. We're recording this a little late. Jamar, you had a crazy day. You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, crazy, crazy and exciting. So um, as some of the listeners know, I'm starting uh, – PhD work in history at the University of Mississippi. And so, uh, that stuff's starting to ramp up. We had orientation, uh, today when we're recording. So I've got quite the commute. So I've been on the road for a good bit of time, but I discovered something, which is I typically listen to like podcasts and even books, but they're, they're nonfiction. But recently I started, I started listening to, I'll call it pop fiction because it's not like this. Super <laughs> in-depth <laughs> yeah, artistic yeah. fiction. But anything with with an actual plot actually helps, for me, pass the time better. And so I'm a huge Jason Bourne fan, and I downloaded uh-huh. one of the books, and it's like hmm. 700 pages. So hopefully that'll keep me going for a little while.
0: So Jamar, you were not listening to Pass the Mic on your, your hour and a half commute. That's what you're saying?
1: Well, see, we recorded it. And I I do listen to pass the mic when I go jogging.
0: I remember what I said, so
1: (laughs) sometimes I do. (laughs) What's up, man? What's up with you?
0: I'm doing well, man. Just got back from the Canvas Conference in Portland, um, which was sponsored by the Humble Beast Record Label and Western Seminary. Uh, So that was excellent. That was a lot of fun, and uh, got to see some good friends, uh, some friends who are fans of the show, listeners of the show, and then also some people have been on the show, like Akemini Uwan. Um, who's one of the speakers. Um, also Dr. Jarvis Williams as well. Yep. We finally got to meet in person. So that was oh, very, yeah. very exciting.
1: <laughs> so so what were like two or three highlights for you? Uh,
0: meeting Dr. Jarvis Williams. Um, meeting Dr. Jarvis. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a big deal. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, then also Mike Cosper gave a talk on stories and that was very excellent. Mm. Um, big fan of Mike Cosper. Yes. Then all the artists who were there from Shyland to um, Braille to Odd Thomas, they all had really good talks. So it was, it was fun. And I, I tell you, the best part though wasn't the talks it was the fellowship. It was coming from different places. I've never been on the West Coast, man. So this is mm. my first time being on the West Coast officially. So to have that opportunity and to to see a different culture and to eat some good food and uh, just break bread with brothers and sisters in Christ was the best part. And uh, it was also a break for me. So good. it was very refreshing for me to get away for a couple of days. So, yeah. Self-care is it important. It was overall. Fear. Yes, self-care, self-care.
1: Come on. Um huge, Well, huge. in in some, some other news, we've got to do like a periodic kind of geeking out nerd thing, which is not really my thing, at least not on these topics. It's more like oh. you and Bo, but there's going to be a, a Spider-Man reboot. And yes. <laughs> that looks good. It looks really good. And they just announced that there is going to be um, a very interesting and I think good uh, cast selection. Do you want to talk about that?
0: Sure, so Zendaya, who is, I believe, a pop artist. Um, I'm not super duper familiar with her, Um, but Zendaya is, um, you know, a singer, dancer, actress, and uh, she's been on like some Disney Channel stuff. And so, anyway, so she, it, it was rumored that she was cast in the movie, and for a while, everyone thought she was playing a role named Michelle, like just this unnamed role, Michelle, and we don't really know. Anything about her, but they recently announced um, that she is going to be playing Mary Jane Watson, which is um, one of the, the love interests or love interest main love interest for uh, Spider Man. So that is huge in a lot of different ways um, because it's not the stereotypical uh, ethnic. Distinction for uh, Mary Jane's character. Um, you guys have probably seen that depicted in previous Spider-Man movies, which they've done about 15 to 20 of them.
1: Um, <laughs> They're trying to get but it But this right.
0: is really interesting, very interesting. And, and you've already heard some of the backlash. And, you know, there's been some creative liberties that artists take with the characters in comic books and comic book films. But this is one of the biggest changes. Um, you know, he had the Human Torch. Um, was played by Michael B. Jordan in the most recent Fantastic Four movie, and so most people didn't see that because it was a really bad movie. You <laughs> do, you put yourself through that, but I that was a big it. change. Yeah, so that wise, very wise. <laughs> uh, but that was a big change, and now this one is is even bigger. So I'm excited to see what it is and what comes out of it, and then also. We have Luke Cage coming out next month on Netflix, which Ooh, is uh, original goodness, original
1: Goodness, it looks so good,
0: and that's going to be very, um, for lack of a better term, black. So <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs>
1: and, um, Just be- Luke Cage if you know
0: his if you know his backstory. He's one of my favorite characters. We talked about it before on a comic book episode, so I'm not going to get all into that, you know, because y'all are going to tune us out. We got serious <laughs> stuff to talk about, but
1: anyways. We do, we do. But it is so interesting because Mary Jane Watson is typically you know a redhead, light skinned yes. um white woman. Uh, and so Zendaya is um, ethnically diverse. I really even don't don't know her background, um, right. but she doesn't fit the typical uh, what the comic books have done um, with Mary Jane. And you know this is happening sort of across the board with different characters. So it's just very interesting to see um, some of these uh, comic book characters that that folks have grown up with. There's there's kind of a fresh take on it, and um, I, I think that, I think they're pretty wise with with a lot of their casting decisions it's a it's a good shaking up i think
0: yeah and i think for people who are watching it's very important to say that you know in many cases there have been white actors or actresses who have had the ability to play ethnic characters and and you know especially you know our asian brothers and sisters could probably see this representation in a number of different ways yes um and that's very uncomfortable, and and it's you know it's what started you know campaigns like Oscar so white, and it's it is important representation does matter, like optics do matter. Yes, and giving people this chance and giving people the ability to express their own creativity, in the Imago day that God has blessed all of us with, very important and uh, worthwhile, a worthwhile study for sure. So to see this play out is um, just encouraging, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing the film. I don't want any more Spider-Man films. I'm just, you know, but but hey, I, I look forward to seeing that and Luke Cage and some other things. But Bo is probably gonna um, be upset that we talked about comic books and they're morphing without uh, without him yes, on the line. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. I was just thinking about. <laughs>
0: so that. I'm gonna stop. I'm just gonna stop. Bo's properly, you know tearing his hair out right now uh, as he <laughs>
1: edits this. Yeah. But but you brought Sorry. you brought up a great point about representation and yes. and. I've been thinking a lot about that. A lot of people have been thinking a lot about this with uh, the Olympics in Rio.
0: Yes, absolutely. So we have some really amazing athletes that Mm. are participating in the Olympics. I've grown up watching the Olympics and being very close in proximity to the Olympics, um, not just with the sports that I participated in when I was in high school, But also the geographic area. So most of you guys are familiar with uh, Usain Bolt, who is uh, a sprinter, fastest man in the world, fastest man in history. Um, And Usain runs against um, an American named Justin Gatlin. And for those who do not know, Justin Gatlin is a Florida boy, he's a Pensacola boy. So um, I actually grew up running in Justin Gatlin invitationals. Um, So after he won, yeah, so after he won uh, the 2004 gold medal, In, I I forget where he won it in, but he won the 2004 gold medal. And then um, he came back and started doing the series of invitationals. Um, at at his uh the high school that he came from, which is actually now uh, closed down uh, sadly enough mm. um and uh, so that's why he says he's from Woodham Florida because Woodham high school and uh Woodham high school was in Pensacola florida so i've I've run in his meets and and had the privilege of of shaking his hand a few times and uh so I was rooting him on he didn't win um he won the silver um yeah and he
1: smiled know. as he did uh Usain bolt smiled <laughs> as he <Yeah>. took. <laughs> The gold that was, yeah, ooh. isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a demoralizing <laughs> thing, you know. And it, and, a, and the crazy thing is Usain only won by 0.08 seconds. So he won by eight hundredths of right. a second, but right. it looks so big. It looks like such a wide gap. And it is a dominant, dominant gap. But it wasn't just Justin Gatlin participating. I mean, there's so many young ladies and, and young men um, who have participated in the Olympics and won and done very, very well. Obviously, um, Gabby Douglas won the uh, gymnastics all-around four years ago in London. And she was on the team again this year, did not make the all-around final. and But that's because Simone Biles um, Ooh, took over. Simone. All- and did not take any, she took no prisoners. She just took over. And uh, man, what dominant. an amazing, um, just expression of talent and gift and creativity. And then you you step into the pool and you have Simone Manuel becoming yes. a, a young African-American woman to win um, a gold medal and a number of different medals. Um, man, her reaction was amazing. And considering the history of African-Americans in swimming pools That was very. If you don't know some of the stories, um, you know, I just I I want you to Google it. Um, We're not going to spoon feed you. Google it. You will find some crazy stories about reactions to African Americans sharing the pool um, with people in the white community and how that has been skewed. Um, Even all the way down to, uh, I was actually watching the presentation ceremony for the women's one hundred meter hurdles. And so it was three Americans who won. They swept, you know, the the gold, yes. silver, and bronze.
1: That's crazy.
0: And this is something that was very interesting. As I was listening to it, it just came up where one of the ladies was another, um, uh, I think, former track athlete of color was was putting the medals on uh, these, you know, three young African American women who had just won these uh, these medals and swept for the first time. And she gets to the gold medal, medal winner, Brianna Rollins, and she puts the medal on her, leans and gives her a hug, and the camera picked this up. She said, black girls rock, huh? And Brianna uh. said, yes, black girls rock. And it just put this big smiles on my face, this big smile on my face, you know, just this, this excitement and jubilance of freedom and celebration and, um, yeah, just the owning of the identity, and it just made me smile. And I That's was so good. I was just sitting back, saying, "How many young people have been represented in fencing and in boxing and in mm-hmm. basketball and in in handball and in yeah. swimming and in track and fields and gymnastics, and how many of them are now going to alter their life path to represent their country? Uh, how beautiful is that?"
1: Shout out to Lori Hernandez, who is oh, yes, a Latina, um, you know, a, a gymnast. Old, yeah, 16 years old. Come on, man. When I was 16. Oh, come on. Even the Olympics. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, what were so we doing was, at 16? I don't even want to say <laughs> like over there what we were doing at 16, man. Certainly not becoming a world-class elite athlete. Definitely not that. Um, but she won a silver medal. I mean, for real. You got it. Uh Trying to fix up my, my beat-down 1984 Buick Regal that leaked oil <laughs> right, and burned right. oil. I was trying to
0: get a car. <laughs> I had my permit when I was 16. It was crazy.
1: But it, this is so important. Like, 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 folks... Need to understand the significance of it. And it it really takes me a while to, to articulate it because it's such a a deep down feeling. I mean, you've got, you've got the Olympics in general, which is just sort of a feel good time for the nation. It's one of the few times that we really do come together as this diverse group of citizens, all cheering on the same team. Um, so that in itself is always a really neat kind of climate for the nation. But then to have people of color, so predominantly not only represented, but winning. I mean, these people are taking home medal after medal after medal. And then women too. So you have all of these kind of different uh, minorities represented and succeeding. And this is so crucial, though, like as 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 an African-American to see other black people from the United States succeeding and doing well and having the country root for them and be behind them. It's like it's like a taste of what our nation could be. Not that this is all perfect or anything, but it's moving a lot closer toward what it would be like if we really, truly valued the diversity and um celebrated the gifts of all the different kinds of people that have come together in this nation and Such then not an only important. that you know just i mean i can't i can't even say how important representation is do you know how many i mean just think back to to when you were younger watching the olympics and when you saw yeah. somebody on that screen winning you started to to think hey i could be that person or i want to play right. this sport you know and so many kids now who are seeing people of color in swimming, gymnastics, fencing, shot put, you name it, and oh, saying, yeah, shot that put. could be me. Oh, my me.
0: goodness. Wow.
1: Yeah. So, so you know, if you don't have those people up there who, who sort of – um Come from your same space socially and ethnically. It's a lot harder to project yourself in that space, but seeing them up there and and hearing them celebrated for excellence, that casts a vision for young and old alike. I think so. It's very significant.
0: Yes, also a picture of how the church should be represented. But a to the a... men. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a microcosm, and you know I think sometimes when people hear us talk about Hollywood or when they hear us talk about the Olympics or or some other things, they would say, well, this isn't the church. This isn't really, but it does fall in under the purview of the sovereignty of God and his rule and what we're intending to bring to earth, which is a representation of what we should see within the church and what we will see in heaven before the the throne of the king, you know? And I yeah. think it's very important for us to remember that this is just a microcosm. The things in these other areas that we'd say are not explicitly Christian areas, um, are still important, and they are still representations of what the church should be pushing for and and I pray that our Olympic track team is not more diverse than our church is mm. um, and and I pray that we are not more diverse and accepting on that arena than we are um, in our conference lineups so I hope those things would would be would be reminders for us
1: and you mentioned a good point like I mean a lot of these athletes, a lot of them are people of faith they're Christians. Um, yes. pretty outspoken yes. about it too, uh, you know, even just beyond the, you know, thank God for letting me win type of thing, um, articulating how their faith has strengthened them and motivated them in the midst of competition and, and guides them uh, beyond just the athletics. I, I just it's, – it's really neat to see uh, all the different ways that, that God is moving and working through people, even on the highest levels of athletics. So I just That's thought beautiful. that was a – uh, a good good point that you brought up and and let me i know you want to dive into some serious issues tyler look
0: i'm not trying to dive into serious issues oh, i man. mean they just, exist, you know <laughs> they know I'm just exist
1: well i just i'm gonna just do a, a quick commercial um uh, the LDR weekend is coming up here on over Labor Day weekend. It happens every year. I think this is the fifth year we're doing it. LDR stands for Leader, Leadership Development and Resource Weekend. I didn't come up with the name. Uh, but I am one of the planners, and I've gone to each one that they've had. And it was, in fact, uh, the very first LDR in 2011 that birthed uh, the Reformed African-American Network. Um, wow. What the LDR does is it brings together – Uh, all kinds of Christians, but particularly um, Reformed and Black Christians. And uh, it's a conference, but it's more like a family reunion. And that was the feeling I had after the first one. And I said, well, how can we keep this... Sort of thing going. How can we maintain these connections? And out of that came what became uh, the Reformed African American Network. So this is the fifth year we're doing it. It's back in St. Louis, which is always significant because of Ferguson and so much of um, you know what is now sort of the the next wave of of civil rights has started or or traces itself back to there. Uh, in terms of contemporary times, and so it's going to be there. Uh, we got a lot of great speakers. One in particular, I think people should be excited about, is Micah Edmondson. He is a church planter and a—he's uh, got his PhD from Calvin Seminary, and he studied uh, Martin Luther King's theology of suffering. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating yes, very topic. Fascinating. Yeah. So so he's gonna be there. But I also wanted to say a lot of our L, uh, a lot of our past the mic listeners are gonna be there. And so we are doing a meetup on Saturday night. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be a great time to actually meet folks face to face with whom we've been interacting with online. So if you're going to be at the LDR, if you're thinking about it, you can still register. It's a very cheap conference. Um, go to LDRweekend.com and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of our listeners and 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 Rant Network followers in person at that weekend.
0: Yes, it's very important for you if you want to be on the cutting edge of this new wave of activism, if you want to be on the cutting edge of this new wave of, of gospel engagement into the social sphere, that you take this opportunity take every opportunity to connect with people and to resource with them Amen. and that's why I appreciate LDR so much because this work can be so lonely. Yeah. And when you think about all the people who are coming in from different places, it's beautiful to think that we as a body can come together and that we can engage each other, uplift each other and it's basically an oasis in the desert. We can come together and and just have this explosion of celebration but also have action, have hard conversations, have time where we build each other up, and we're also planning for our future. So um, big ups to LDR weekend. Big fan of it. Hope I can make it this year. It's still in flux. I'm trying. Come I'm on, so man. Trying make
1: it today. happen. <laughs> um,
0: you know, I was looking in the past on my group, and I saw how many people are going to be there. And I said, oh, man, like there's <laughs> no way I can miss. So you guys pray that I favor will be shown upon me to where I can – I can come to LDR.
1: Prayers up, man. Prayers up. Um so let's get into it. One one big thing we have very heavy hearts for right now are uh the victims of flooding in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This yeah. this has been uh, a disastrous occurrence. Um last I saw there were at least 13 people who had been dead. Uh, Twenty thousand rescued, twelve thousand people living in shelters. I mean, it it is. We we. I grew up in the Midwest. We had we had basements. I know some some regions of the country don't even have basements. But our our basement used to flood all the time. And when that happened, and it would only be you know. Two, three inches of water, sometimes a foot would be like the worst, worst of it. And and you had to drop everything um, just just to deal with that. Now, can you imagine your entire home being flooded? I mean, everything's gone. Even your support system, if they're anywhere around you, they can't really help because they're in the same position as you are. So our hearts go out, our prayers go out, and and I'm glad you pressed this, Tyler. To make sure that we talk about it on past the mic, because some of the criticism has been that the national press has largely overlooked uh, this yes. calamity.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it brings to my mind, of course, you know painful memories of of Katrina and in two thousand five and and some of the things that that happened there and and the loss of life and the pandemonium. and so I have friends in that area. Um, I have friends, actually former church members. Um, people that went to our church that had to be canoed out of their homes. Um, And and when you think about those things, you you think about the harrowing picture of helplessness, that there's nothing you can do to stop the water from rising. And so it really demands a trust in in a power uh, greater than yourself, but also it demands that we should come around and help wherever we can. I said this with Ferguson but but this, the scripture is clear that we help the least of these. The scripture is clear that we help the body, that we reach out and do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So yeah. a couple of organizations just to think about giving to and donating to, donating your time. I know many churches are putting together teams to go and assist people directly on the ground in Louisiana. If you get that opportunity and you have the, the ability to do that, please go do that. Um, but also the American Red Cross um, the United Way, and then there's also a food bank called Second Harvest, and they're compiling food. So um, non-perishable food and supplies as well as monetary donations. So if you look up um, a Second Harvest food bank along with United Way and the American Red Cross, you'll see a lot of ways that you can give, and there's probably some Christian organizations as well and some churches that we can directly give to if your church is one of them, or if you know of churches in that area, please send the, that to us. We'll tweet that out. We'll post yeah. that on social media. We'll put it in an article. We just want to attend to the people who are struggling. And um, man, it's it. I, I don't. I cannot imagine losing everything that everything. I own. Yeah, and there's nothing I can do. And the, just relying on the generosity of other human beings and and, and hopefully image bearers of uh, or Christians, image bearers of God. So um, please, if if you can, I want to stress that. We said the same thing. We we're talking about Flint, Michigan. And I definitely want to stress that with the Louisiana flood as well.
1: I saw a couple of articles on how not to help. And basically what they boil down to is, you know, we don't need a bunch of like stuffed animals and, and teddy bears and things like that. Uh, right
0: that's not gonna help right now It's, it's not just, gonna yeah.
1: help I mean as important that that as that is uh my little boy has probably five or six stuffed animals in his bed right now, but uh much more important are things like like diapers um undershirts, underwear uh uh women's products, lots of different things. There were a couple of different things that I hadn't thought of before. One is they're looking for people to give short term uh care and housing to people's pets. Uh, Huge. Which is, you know, it, it, it makes sense when you say it, but it's one of these things that at least I didn't naturally think about, but, you know, you lost your entire home, you really don't have a place for your dog in a shelter, or if you're staying with a friend and, and you don't want, you know, you can't keep your your pet there so you know folks who are in the area they're looking for that um and then another place because because a lot of this is boils down to okay what are the best organizations that are best placed um to actually help and not hurt even when you're trying to help um and so another thing is just like going to your denomination most yes. major denominations will have some sort of disaster relief. I know uh the Presbyterian Church in America does through Mission in North America. And so these are these are folks who are in your, you know, circle uh of um associations and generally you can trust them. So if folks are thinking and, and wondering how to help, those are a couple of ways and also always donating money just really helps. It's simple, um but yeah it's, it's a massive, as a nonprofit, I can tell you it's a massive, um, (laughs) yes. So
0: absolutely, man. So we're just, our prayers are with you. If you're in the Louisiana area, you have family there. Um, just our prayers and our thoughts are with you, but also our hands and our feet
1: as well. Yes. Yes. And our
0: resources, not just prayers and good thoughts and good vibes, um, but resources, tangible materials as well. Okay. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is going to take up the rest of our time. And it is a very important thing if you have heard us talk frequently about the criminal justice system. Now, RAN has expanded in its scope over the years. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is this idea of justice. And justice is not just something that we think is a social uh, um, reality to push for, but it's a biblical ethic. And so we've talked a little bit in the previous podcast about justice and and what we consider to be some of the failures within the criminal justice system as it relates to policing. But there's an entire movement of people within the Christian realm and also the non-Christian realm who are drawing attention to two words that have, have you know, kind of taken off in the past year, year and a half, two years, and that's this idea of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. And so once we once um, Michelle Alexander uh, wrote the book, The New Jim Crow, um, once Brian Stevenson wrote the book, Just Mercy, there was a lot of other books and research, academic papers and journals that drew attention to mass incarceration, this boom of the American prison population. And so we just recently had some very um, exciting, I don't know if that's the right word, but very hopeful news um, come down from the Justice Department that the Justice Department is going to end the use of privatized prisons um, after they concluded that the facilities and the way they're kept up are less safe, less effective um, at providing correctional services than those run by the government. Now, this is big news because the prison system, what many people do not know is the prison system has become an industry. It has become a a money-making entity to put people in jails that are are run privately as pseudo-corporations, almost land stock. Um, It's almost, it really is new slavery, basically, to get people into these prison populations. It's big business. Um, It is a big corporation. um, And it is very influential in some uncomfortable ways that we'll talk about. But when I read this news, number one, I was very surprised. (laughs) I was was, uh, shocked. But it also t- it also is evidence that what we're saying and the push to conversation by Christians and non-Christians who may not have the same biblical ethic but still have the same common grace to recognize injustice and oppression, it is, it is doing something. It is making a difference. You know, what is the one thing we talk about now when we talk about policing? We talk about body cams, right? And that is making a difference. That is a direct result of the fact that conversations were pushed. So this conversation has led to now the ending, um, of privately operated, um, prisons. And it's going to be reducing at first, then ultimately, um, an ending. But Jamar, what were your initial thoughts when you, you thought about this? I know neither of us are criminal justice experts. <laughs> Neither of us are experts on anything, really. Yeah, I mean, there you man, go. Um, we're still learning here. But what were your initial thoughts, recognizing the dangers of these these privatized prisons? What did you think when you heard this news?
1: I, I was extremely excited. I mean, literally, my jaw dropped as I as it came up in my social media feed, and then I went in and you know read a couple articles on it, and it was really surprising how poorly managed many of these prisons were so i mean these 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 private prisons rely on uh filling up the cells and yes. so it is to their advantage for people to be prosecuted convicted and put in jail and the longer the sentence the better because it keeps their the the beds in the prison filled and so yes. once you start digging into the business of all this, it really makes you sick to your stomach to realize that these are actual human beings with families, with hopes. Sure. They may have, uh, committed a crime and made some errors, but then they are put into a system that is profiting on their incarceration. And you're, I mean, I was, I was glad. And, but the one thing that disappointed me was, uh, the scope of it is is you know the federal prison system right. and the private mm-hmm. prisons are are big and it said at the height of the private prison system there were 40,000 inmates and that's going to be reduced at least to about 14,000 in the next year or so and then they're going to be gradually phased out from the federal level but you still have state and local prisons that house tens right. and thousands tens of thousands of prisoners so it, on on one hand, just like you said, Tyler, it's it's a victory, and I think we should all be encouraged that activism can actually create action. Um, yeah. <laughs> imagine that people still don't believe that's
0: possible, huh? You know, like
1: like like we we just used uh, the activism card in the '60s, and nothing else will work from there. But no, it does work, and this is a clear, tangible sign of that, and I think we should celebrate it to the extent that if people, human beings, are being treated better and um, Mm -hmm. not commodified, that's something as believers we ought to celebrate, but at the same time, understanding that this is a battle that has been uh, fought and it's not the war that's over. So... uh, it sort of argues i think for um, incredible involvement at the local level getting to know your own state and local municipality and the things yes. going on there so yeah good news uh, i think overall and not all the private prisons were the same but there were at least enough there were at least enough of these sort of um broad findings that the the justice department says we're out
0: yeah, just a few things to remember here. Um, when we're talking about for-profit prisons, there are specific abuses that concern us. Um, I, we're not just speaking vaguely here. We're speaking about specific abuses. Um, I remember reading an article where they talked about the differences between the treatment in privately operated prisons that certain um, one particular prison it was serving I believe it said rat-infested food, mm. like it was serving, you know, like spoiled food items to people, just completely dehumanizing. That that the rate of assault, um, in this particular article that I was reading, it says it was two to three times the rate of violent assault as in publicly run facilities. You know, um, we're talking about striking. Um, uh, there's they were striking over inadequate health care, which was in, incredibly <laughs> unsafe. But we're talking about. A political ideology where where in this article it says that the two biggest prison corporations in the country made $3.3 billion in 2012. Wow. $3.3 billion. And as a Washington uh, Post reports that the two largest for-profit prison corporations and their associates have funneled more than $10 million to candidates since 1989 and have spent nearly $25 million on lobbying. And you know, in the political process, money talks, everything else walks. And we're talking about money that can be used to influence and steer people to unjust, unsafe, dehumanizing treatment in the for-profit, for-profit prison uh, system. It's shocking. It's stunning that we would sit by. And when we think about, um, just the effects of incarceration in and of itself. And this is why something that is very important and, and I think we should be passionate about is as we're entering into an election cycle and an election season, do not leave that marker off of the ballot. Think through that before you step into uh, the ballot box as you're voting for local, um, state, state. And federal officials think through that. What are they going to do about about the prison system? What are they going to do about this idea of treating people humanely, even when they're incarcerated? I mean, we have one candidate in particular, and, you know, who was responsible for a very detrimental crime bill in 1994 that she pushed and that her husband as president pushed that led to a lot of incarceration, that led to a fueling and a stoking of the fires of tension, um, within the majority context towards people of color, so it should it should grip us, and it should be a very important thing for us to talk about. We hold our elected officials accountable, so i 'm thankful for those who are pushing for that say no you're not we're not going to allow you to treat and dehumanize people, and we're not just going to turn a blind eye to it. you can't turn a blind eye to this. Because there are human beings created in the image of God. And what we're seeing is that this can set back generations of people, communities, neighborhoods, families. We talk about fatherlessness. (laughs) And fatherlessness is affected by mass incarceration. Mass incarceration leads to that. And if we're, we're not making substantive changes in our judicial process, if we're not making substantive changes in the way that we incarcerate people in, in the prison system and, and the retention rates and all these things that go into it, our entire lives, entire lives and, and, and existences and families and neighborhoods and communities and churches are affected by this. People, faces, Potential recipients of the grace of God in salvation. So hopefully that will move us to think through um, just just what what we're seeing here. This is not just a political act. Right. I think this is an act of
1: humanity. Yeah, you know? and, and that's what's important, right? Like we're not advocating uh, that you vote for a particular candidate or a particular party. Uh, I think what we're saying is that when it comes to issues of human dignity – those transcend any political party line. Yes. Those transcend any political party platform. And
0: no one has cornered the market. No one has cornered the no, market. No, no political, political party has cornered that market.
1: That's what makes this case so interesting, right? Where where so many, um, many conservatives are like rah-rah, capitalism, privatization, let the market do its thing. And that's what results in what's best for people. And then many on the opposite side of the spectrum are like, no, 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 this, this Needs to be centralized. This needs to be um, standardized uh, practice across you know states across the country, and and this is one of those cases where you know it doesn't fit neatly into uh, the uh, the traditional ideological narrative, and and really Christians I don't think should fit neatly into a political ideological narrative because we're not primarily concerned about red and blue in terms of political parties, we're primarily concerned about people and and individual persons. And when it, it you know, to me it 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 sort of it, it's never easy to think about justice and to do justice. But in a way it is simple, right? Mm, There's a difference wow. between simple and easy. So so when you think about people or an individual person better yet and how he or she should be treated even if they're convicted of a crime and let that lead you i think for christians that helps us actually walk the walk because every christian that i know or most many many christians that i know want to say oh i'm independent you know i don't i don't i don't subscribe completely <laughs> right. to, to either course, party right. but then you know you look at the way we vote or or you know even things that we post online and 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 it seems very clear what our political right. affiliation Who we would is to exactly. At, at the very least. Exactly. Right. And 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 you know, that that's not sinful to to have a party allegiance, but when it comes to issues of human dignity and justice, like you said, nobody's cornered the market on it. And I think we'd do a lot better. We'd we'd save ourselves a lot of headaches in terms of trying to figure out what to do. If we do think of that individual person and his or her flourishing, no matter who they are, male, female, rich or poor, black or white, uh, let that guide us. It's, you know, treat others how you would want to be treated. And I think that has endless mileage to it, even when it comes to elections or policy.
0: What do you think is next in this conversation? Um, What do you think is the next level here? Because you know, I'm thinking about ways that we can get involved um, immediately, and, and you know, I don't know if there's there's a, a cookie cutter answer. I know that there's some great organizations, you know, like the End Campaign, who are doing some things um, on on that level. I, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like this conversation is going to continue to progress, and, and I think mass incarceration has always been kind of that next fault line. Mm-hmm. That's really going to be addressed. And I know we're still addressing policing and the the individual encounters there and maybe some of the bias that has been, uh, you know, um, levied against, you know, black and brown bodies. But, you know, when we talk about mass incarceration, that's another big issue. What do you think is next? You know, do you think that this mass incarceration conversation continues and how has the church been in this conversation? Are we leading this conversation? <laughs> um, are we stepping up where we need to? I kind of laugh and chuckle because I think we can always do a little bit better. Yeah. But but how are we doing right now? In your opinion, Jamar?
1: So I mean I don't I'm not sure what the next sort of battlefront is. I think there's still a lot more work to do on mass incarceration. Uh, there's a lot more work to do in terms of the the prosecutorial process. Um, yes. and, and that's something that we're just I think in general, at least in my experience, not very informed about. It's just like, okay, you know, police put the handcuffs on them, they get sent to court and eventually they end up in prison. And that's like like this is vague kind of understanding that we all have, but to drill down and say where are the deficiencies in the system that we can press on to make it more just and equitable for all people. So I still think there's a lot of work to be done there. I think maybe where I am is to think about personally my own involvement. And where it leads me to is, and and pastors have said this before, but with Christian convictions and our biblical view of morality, we should, in some senses, be the very best citizens we should be the very best citizens in the sense that we truly care about our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and our communities, um, and that right. may not lead us to to some big national movement. But for me, where all of this is leading is to be much more intentional about informing myself of the policies that I really just have a vague understanding of, some of which I'm not even aware right. of yet. But for me, I really want to get involved in my local community, uh, whether that's elections, whether that's volunteering in service, whether that's um, just, just knowing the issues that are facing people. So I think that's something all of us can do is to be much more concerned and involved citizens because we're concerned about the common good.
0: Yeah, that's a great word. That's a great word, Jamar. I think, you know, we have to Have some proximity to people, and again, this is you know kind of a neighborhood conversation. We have to have some proximity to some some people who have been incarcerated, um, (laughs) you know, or or who are in the system, and you know, or who are you know ex felons. You know, I think it's important for us. You know, someone was saying today, like, what's the what's the handbook? What's the guidebook for you know how how I help my family member when they get out of jail, Mm. right? Mm. And, And it led me to think about. To pause and think that's more than just a clever tweet, but that's how do we as a church care for those who are coming out of jail and who are still wanting to be a part of the local church and and who are trying to transition and assimilate back into the culture and be productive citizens who don't go and return to the system. Right. Um, you know, How do we do that as, as believers? How do we promote that individually? So there's a lot to think about there, but I think you're right in... The smaller ripples having a bigger impact than what, than what we know. I think it's very important for us to keep that, that mentality as being the best citizens. Very helpful for us to think and helpful mark for us to shoot for. That should extend to us attending, you know, council meetings and, and, um, School board meetings and attending um, different conversations involving law enforcement and citizens and creating those panels I just think it it extends far, but it also gives us something tangible to grasp as well
1: yeah and if you if if we think back um A lot of these broader national movements start – they all start at the local level. I mean, uh, a lot of the focus on the criminal justice system – yeah, there was some scholarship out there like those books that you mentioned. They certainly helped spur the conversation. But it was marches and protests in places like Ferguson that caught on and the ripple effects have – you know, now reached the, the Department of Justice. I mean, I'm sure there were um, some things in motion already, but these things can, can help move the process along. So I think it's important for us never to discount our smallest efforts and our, our smallest steps, even at the local neighborhood, even family level, uh, yes. to have the potential to, to have a much broader impact.
0: Absolutely. That's a really good word, man. Listen, we want you guys to to jump into this conversation. If you have maybe some experience, some things that your church does... Um, or or the people around you may be doing practically to be great citizens, um, to be involved, uh, please just let us know. I mean, tweet us. I'm at Burns23. Um, the show's Twitter handle is at underscore past the Mic. You also have at Jamar Tisby is uh, Jamar's handle. So we want you guys to get in on this conversation. We want you guys to continue to give us feedback via social media. That is very, very important to us. I just want to shout out um, Stu, who is the founding director of The Verge. Um, uh, conference. And, uh, he just gave us a really great tweet, uh, Twitter shout out, um, last week. He said, serious props to Jamar Tisby and, uh, Burns 23 on the Pastor Mike podcast and must listen. Which one doesn't matter. They're all that good. Um, that's probably the best one we've, <laughs> yes, <laughs> one of the best ones we've had awesome. yet. So Thanks. So thank you. That's very gracious. We appreciate that. We see those, um, and all of you guys who are giving us feedback. On previous episodes, please continue to do that. We want you to continue this conversation. There's a couple of ways that you can do that. You can follow us at randnetwork.org. There are plenty of blogs on a wide variety of topics. Now I know oftentimes we talk about justice, we talk about reconciliation, we talk about these matters specifically, but there are a wide variety of conversations from singleness to biblical orthodoxy, um, to dating, to marriage, to um, man, discipleship, to to reading, to stewarding your time. All these things are available at rannetwork.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at network, And and you can also subscribe to the podcast. You can rate us, review us. You can do that on iTunes. You can also do that on some other apps as well, especially the Satchel app, Satchel. which is run by our producer, Bo York. And it's great. It's a great interface. It's it's a app that I really enjoy using and downloading podcasts into. Um, you can rate us there. You can also give donations there yes. as well. Um, just continue in this conversation. Then the final way that I'll, I'll say that you can continue in the conversation is being a part of our Pass to Mike Facebook group. We're getting a lot of people, I think we're close to 700 members now, which is crazy to me, thinking about 700 people who are really pushing from different places, from different political polls, um, not always agreeing. You'll see that within the group. It's not a neat tidy group. This is a group that is concerned with real action that is concerned with real tangible difficult conversations, really asking those things that would be left unasked in the public square and in maybe in your churches or maybe in your community groups. Um, so past the mic is that um, that private group where you can do that you can ask those questions. no question is dumb, no question is stupid. Um, So if you would join the Pastor Mike group, I think you'll be blessed by it. You'll be encouraged by it. So those are just some ways that you can continue the conversation. Um, I'm just so thankful that we have this medium and this ability to voice not just what we believe is our opinion, but we believe is biblical truth, orthodoxy, and justice.
1: That's a good word.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Jamar, um, as always. And we'll see you next time on the next Pastor 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 Mike you've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com.
1: That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com.